Today's episode is sponsored by Tigo. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tigo and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top medico-legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the Part 2 anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And today's episode is Bad Blood Part 1. We will discuss Rotem, specifically how it works and its interpretation. As always, in this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. So, Kate, I have a confession. I've been really looking forward to this episode. Oh, really? And tell me why? (laughs) Well, to be perfectly honest, I use Rotem really infrequently and I'm constantly in a cycle of forgetting how to interpret it, then suddenly Mm. having to use it, thus reading up on it, thinking, oh, okay, wow, this test is actually really helpful before then not using it again and forgetting everything I know. So this is a really timely brush up for me. Excellent. I think me too, to be honest. Fair enough. Um, So Rotem or rotational thromboelastometry is a point of care analysis of the viscoelastic properties of blood clotting and clot dissolution. It looks at the entire coagulation process of whole blood, which when compared to individual lab tests that assess specific parts of this process, can give us a better overall picture of coagulation in the patient before us. Now, we are aware that many listeners may have the newer TEG machines at their hospitals rather than a Rotem. Sadly, today we won't be talking about TEG specifically, but many of the principles of result interpretation are similar, so we think it's still worth listening in. Absolutely. Now, the value in Rotem as a point-of-care test is in the speed with which you can start to see results in as little as 10 to 15 minutes after the test has been started and the specificity with which you can diagnose abnormalities within the clotting cascade. So, if you have an actively bleeding patient in front of you, such as a trauma patient, a cardiac or vascular surgical patient, or a bleeding obstetric patient, for example, Rotem can allow for a more rapid and accurate diagnosis of disordered clotting and a more targeted therapy that hopefully means we rely less on massive transfusion. The principles behind Rotem are actually quite simple. A small amount of blood is placed in a cylindrical cuvette or cup and a pin is suspended within the blood sample. The pin is attached to a spring and rotated by a motor back and forth by 4.75 degrees. As the blood starts to clot, the rotation of the spring is restricted, and this is recorded as a graph in millimetres over time, and produces a curve called a temogram. As time passes and the blood clots, the temogram gives a series of values at different points on its curve. We compare the values of these parameters against reference ranges to determine the cause of abnormal clotting. We also see certain patterns in the temogram curve that are consistent with specific blood clotting abnormalities. Now, when a rotum is performed, the machine actually runs four assays simultaneously. So instead of seeing one temogram evolve before you, you see four. These four different assays focus on different elements within the coagulation pathway. Now, if you've never seen a rotum result before, click on the link in our episode notes so that you can understand what we're talking about. 
Now, before we really dive into understanding Rotem, a quick brush up on coagulation is probably not a bad idea. Rest assured, though, we won't bore you silly and we'll keep it only to a few <laughs> minutes. There are two separate pathways that lead to blood clotting, the extrinsic and the intrinsic pathways, and both of these lead to a final common pathway that results in a blood clot. The extrinsic pathway is activated when non-blood cells undergo trauma. These damaged cells release tissue factor, which is also called factor 3. As bleeding occurs, factor 7 present in the blood becomes activated and the tissue factor and the activated factor 7 form a complex called, not surprisingly, the tissue factor 7A complex. This complex activates factor 10 and together, activated factor 10 in the presence of the cofactor, activated factor 5, triggers the formation of thrombin or factor 2A from prothrombin or factor 2. The intrinsic pathway is the more complicated pathway with a greater number of steps and is activated upon blood contact with negatively charged collagen exposed upon damage to the endothelial wall of blood vessels. This collagen activates factor 12, which then triggers a cascade of factor activation as follows. Activated factor 12 catalyzes the activation of factor 11. Activated factor 11 catalyzes the activation of factor 9. And then activated factor 9, with assistance from its cofactor, factor 8, forms a complex that catalyzes the activation of factor 10. At this point, in the same fashion as the extrinsic pathway, activated factor 10 in the presence of its cofactor, activated factor 5, cleaves prothrombin or factor 2 to produce thrombin or factor 2A. During this process of factor activation, and this is also true for the extrinsic pathway, platelets come together with these clotting factors to form a cellular plug at the site of endothelial injury. And these platelets release mediators and additional factor VIII that facilitate further blood clotting. The common pathway is where the intrinsic and extrinsic pathways converge at the activation of factor X. Activated factor 10 triggers a series of reactions resulting in prothrombin or factor 2 being cleaved to form thrombin or activated factor 2. Thrombin then does several things. It goes on to catalyse the conversion of fibrinogen or factor 1 into fibrin or activated factor 1. It also activates other clotting factors, factor 11, cofactors 5 and 8 and factor 13. Fibrin subunits come together, forming fibrin strands, and with assistance from activated factor 13, then form a fibrin mesh that helps stabilise the platelet plug. It is this stable platelet plug that is our blood clot. Now, in order to re-establish blood flow after the damaged tissue heals, the blood clot must be degraded via fibrinolysis, or the cleaving of the fibrin mesh. Endothelial cells of injured blood vessels release tissue plasminogen activators, or TPAs. These TPAs catalyze the conversion of plasminogen into plasmin so that plasmin can cleave the fibrin mesh and cause clot degradation. TPAs are released very slowly, so there is a significant time delay between the cellular trauma and the TPA concentration reaching the threshold to initiate plasmin formation. So there you go. That wasn't too painful, I don't think. (laughs) And if you'd like to brush up on coagulation, there are some links in our episode description. Now, we mentioned previously that each of the four temograms are analysed with respect to parameters that they all share. The main parameters we analyse are the CT, A10, MCF, LI30 and ML, but there are others that we'll also mention along the way. Now, let's imagine we've just placed a blood sample in the Rotom machine and have started running the blood test. When you first look at the four graphs, you'll see four thin green lines. 
Now, these lines represent a lack of restriction of the movement of that tiny little pin in the blood and tells us that the blood hasn't started clotting yet. Soon, though, the line thickens into a pink sausage shape. The first parameter, the CT, is the clotting time. It is the time in seconds that it takes from the start of the test until the amplitude of the little sausage-shaped temogram reaches 2 millimetres. This parameter describes the speed of the initiation of clotting through fibrin formation and can be affected by clotting factor deficiency, anticoagulants, mainly heparin, and hypofibrinogenemia. As the clotting process continues, the sausage-shaped temogram slowly becomes thicker. The curve changes in colour from pink to blue when the amplitude reaches 20 millimetres. The CFT is the clot formation time and is measured in seconds. It is the time from the initiation of clotting until the clot firmness represented by an amplitude of 20 millimetres is achieved. This is one of the parameters not used as often in our rotum interpretation. The next parameter that we measure as time goes on is the A10. It's measured in millimetres and it is the amplitude of the temogram 10 minutes after clotting is initiated. We use it as an early assessment of clot firmness and strength and it can be influenced by platelets, fibrinogen and factor 13. Next is the MCF and this stands for maximum clot firmness. This is the value in millimetres of the amplitude of the clot temogram at its peak and gives us an indication of overall clot strength, firmness and frankly clot quality. As for the A10, the blood components that affect the MCF are platelets, fibrinogen and factor 13. After the MCF is reached, fibrinolysis begins to dissolve the clot. The LI30 stands for the lysis index 30 minutes after blood clotting is initiated and gives us an indication of the strength of the remaining clot. It is expressed as a percentage of the MCF. And the last parameter that we'll discuss is the ML, which stands for maximum lysis. The value is recorded continuously after the MCF has been reached. It's not recorded at a fixed point, so its value is one that changes dynamically over time. It represents the percentage of the clot that has been lost due to fibrinolysis relative to the MCF, and because it is a dynamic value, it should be considered in relation to the time after the MCF. Now, as we mentioned previously, a rotum test runs four assays at once, but it's important to know that there are five different types of assays that can be chosen from. That's right. So starting with the XTEM, this assay specifically looks at the extrinsic pathway and it does this by adding tissue factor to the blood, which as we know from our review of coagulation, is the first step in this pathway. Next we have the INTEM assay, which specifically looks at the intrinsic pathway. This occurs with the addition of ellagic acid to the blood. The third assay to discuss is the FibTEM. As well as adding tissue factor to initiate coagulation via the extrinsic pathway, this test adds cytocalicin D to blood and it is this reagent that inhibits the platelet contribution to the blood clotting. This test is used to specifically assess the availability of fibrinogen and its function related to fibrin polymerization. Next, we have the APTEM. As with the FibTEM, this test also initiates blood clotting via the extrinsic pathway through the addition of tissue factor. But this test also adds an anti-fibrinolytic agent to the blood, either aprotonin or tranexamic acid, to inhibit fibrinolysis. This curve is always compared to the XTEM curve and can be used to confirm hyperfibrinolysis and to determine the efficacy or usefulness of antifibrinolytic therapy. 
And last, we have the heptem. Now, this test is similar to the intem test in that ellagic acid is added to the blood to initiate clotting via the intrinsic pathway. But this test also adds heparinase to the blood, which eliminates any heparin effect. This test is useful in determining whether heparin is contributing to poor clotting. Now, we know that the math doesn't really work out with five assay types, but the ability to only run four assays at once. <laughs> Generally, the XTEM, INTEM and FIBTEM are always run, and the fourth assay is a choice of either the APTEM or the HEPTEM. Usually and routinely, it is the APTEM test that is performed unless it is believed that heparin is contributing to the clinical picture before you. Now, we've sadly run out of time even though there is still plenty to talk about. We want to talk through some case examples that illustrate how to interpret Rotem results, as well as discussing Rotem in very specific clinical scenarios. So keep listening with Bad Blood Part 2. It's been an intense but worthwhile conversation this week on Deep Breaths. Don't forget to claim CPD for listening to this episode if you are a consultant or fellow. As always, if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, or you just want to say hi, you can email us on deepbreathspod at gmail.com. You can find us on most podcast platforms and following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify makes finding new episodes easier, so click that button. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths. Deep Breaths.